Welcome to the Plexus Podcast. Today, Brad Johnson and J.P. Novin are joined by Dr. Kent McDonald of Northwood University. Welcome to the Plexus Podcast series. Today, we are with Dr. Kent McDonald of Northwood University. We're so happy to have you. Pleasure to be here. So talk to us about your upbringing in Canada. Are you, should I ask the question, are you a hockey fan? <laughs> yeah, we're born hockey fans up there. My biggest dilemma now is uh, who to cheer for. I'm a bit of a homer that way. So I've automatically become a Red Wings fan since arrival in Michigan. Yeah, grew up playing a lot of hockey. And so talk to us a little bit about your, your journey, you know, your lifelong journey. Who were some mentors that you can identify? Yeah, um, great question. I, you know, early on, tried to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. I started out in education and um, uh, for about six years, got out, got into some private sector uh, things and um, consulting in early phase of uh, something called smart car technology. And um, but wandered back into education, particularly uh, interested in the higher education space uh, about 25 years ago. Uh, and um, in terms of who influenced me, that was probably my, my own doing early on. Uh, certainly lots of uh, educators uh, crossed uh, paths with me. But um, as I got into uh, higher ed, I, I early on felt the, the need or desire to do some work around uh, leadership uh, at different, different levels. So I, I would say the very first person was a guy named uh, uh, Bob Gillett, uh, Dr. Bob Gillett up in Ottawa, Ontario, um, just showed me the importance of um, kind of looking where the institution is with respect to the marketplace, some of the growing challenges, some of the disruptions that were occurring. And uh, we really took a deep dive into um, what we would call as integrating technology in the learning landscape at a very aggressive rate, aggressive growth. Um, uh, ideals and we and we chase those a little bit uh, easier when you're in the national capital uh, to, to do that I, I think it was a public institution a large one and uh, learned a lot from Bob and and, and over the years probably you know different people who have I've run into less from a mentor point of view and more people who I just like to, to model uh, that includes uh, some who are no longer with us or someone who studies a lot about higher education people like Father Hedsberg at um, uh, Notre Dame and his uh, multi-decade run there to uh, another, by coincidence only, uh, Father Leahy over at Boston College. I quite admire what uh, he's doing there, and um, and then and uh, closer to home, even even some uh, of my own professors when I spent time at the University of Pennsylvania, people I still quite admire, uh, Bob Zemsky being one of those who I just picked up his new book today. So. Um, just I, I, I don't think there's been any one uh, person I just I'd like to uh, look at who has been able to be successfully um, able to move an organization forward and and uh, some of those are, are, are people even even today I do do uh, more than half of my reading is with uh, leaders uh, well outside the education space and just trying to how do you generalize that back into higher education so lots of different players that I'm, I'm thankful to have cross paths with over the years. So what's the difference between education in Canada and the United States? Um, at, at the higher education level, um, I, th I think there's there's some similarities in that uh, there's this need for growth, uh, particularly in the public system. Uh, that's the with the declining funding on a per 
pupil uh, basis. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that people are responding, but the, the basic one is increasing tuition and, and uh, increasing enrollment. And uh, both of those have some, uh, you know, consequences in, in doing that. Um, so those are those are some of the similarities. The differences are, uh, I mean, America, you know, 1636, the first college here was a private entity that relied heavily on on, on uh, private donors. And and um, I would generally say this is generally because I'm a big fan of. Uh, uh, University of Michigan right here in this uh, this state, um, but generally a lot of the leading schools are private and uh, and that brings on a different dynamic that's something that you really don't see in Canada there's some there's some small uh, operations, but not to the degree of uh, of what we see here in America, including here at, at Northwood so this being my third uh, presidency being the only the first private uh, I, I've just found operationally it um, uh, it, it aligns with Northwood's values of how we should operate, but there, there's no one to turn to in terms of a government to say we need some help, we need to be bailed out, uh, that you need to own that responsibility. So um, the, the, uh, there's, there's a, a, you know, some technical differences in terms of Canadian view on community college and how those have evolved. Uh, I think there's maybe seven or eight in the entire country that actually still use the term community college more of a thrust towards polytechnics, more uh, aggressive thrust, I think, in terms of uh, moving away from two-year uh, diplomas into four-year degrees, much like we're, we're seeing in some states right now. But generally speaking, uh, both countries are blessed to have great world-class, however you define that, uh, institutions and, um, uh, and under a lot of the same pressures, particularly the public's. So you did your, uh, you know, your doctoral project, your research at the University of Penn, and you had focused on high-performing colleges and presidential leadership. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about some of your findings then, and how has that changed today? Well, I've, um, if I even go back, I never really had uh, a plan, but I, what I've come to realize is, is uh, I've, I've fallen into something analogous to um, uh, maybe described as turnaround organizations, uh, universities that are under some pressure uh, for a variety of reasons, um, you know, no fault of anyone, but um, declining enrollment, the revenue pressures, uh, that, that kind of thing. And, um, and so my research that, that I completed identified some themes uh, in, in what I thought were high performing things like, um, uh, I have found that they have a disproportionately high external focus looking at the market, uh, in a, uh, in a way differently than one that just simply looks internally more entrepreneurial, um, and, and taking advantage of different opportunities. And, and you know, one of the things that we get hung up with in higher ed is is the fear of talking about students as customers or marketplace and uh, still rooted in some ideological kind of positions that I don't necessarily agree with. And um, so these universities are looking at the market, looking at opportunities and responding to those. Um, the notion of being entrepreneurially inclined is something that I, I discuss and and they, they look for non-traditional revenue streams, uh, ability to break into uh, new markets, uh, regardless of what the, the medium has, uh, happens to be. 
Um, culturally, there's a high degree of trust that, uh, I mean, I, 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 Northwood is a remarkable, remarkable university. And in, in just, just from its view of people working together, there's a, a different approach to this um, artificial hierarchical system that you'll see in a lot of institutions. Things need to get done and they get uh, finished uh, without wondering whose job is that. We saw that you know, all of us have had to live through this 100-year pandemic. On top of that, Northwood has had to endure a 500-year flood. So as I look out my window here, and um, just over a year ago, we had 30 billion gallons of water on, on, the, on the campus with most of our buildings touched by that. And so how we got through that is uh, a very decentralized uh, approach. Um, and, and, and employees here and faculty just knew what they had to do as opposed to this notion that all of the power has to reside in the center in a president's office in, in order to get things done. So um, looking externally, being entrepreneurial, trusting one another, those are some, some of the things that uh, I have found that um, uh, great universities do. And, and what we're trying to do, we have our own Petri dish here at Northwood that we're trying to apply those. Well, Northwood uh, is definitely forward thinking. I mean, I think your career has shown that you have that entrepreneurial mindset and definitely forward thinking. Um, a, a large number of your students do take online classes. Um, can you talk to us about the difference uh, in recruiting and retaining and, and treating a traditional aged high school student that may be on campus in comparison to an adult uh, and or online learner? Yes, so um, a student is a, a student is a student. Uh, um, in some ways, that applies, and in many ways, it doesn't. In terms of where the student is in their own in their own careers and their life, what their own pressures are, what they can afford, uh, what they're able to take, what their interests are. Um, generally, a mid-career person's not prepared to give up their career and come back to school, particularly at the undergraduate level. So, finding out where those students are from an online perspective. Uh, we generally uh, attract students here from, from Michigan. Uh, you know, we have a presence across the, the country and, and internationally, but as most of our students are coming from this coterminous kind of area. Um, online is very different uh, that uh, we know that uh, those artificial barriers or borders that are established are, are not as constrained in, in online. And, and that includes um, uh, international. So some, it's one of the challenges that we have in trying to go up against some of these larger, richer public institutions and their deep pockets is how do we uh, present Northwood in a different way to, to people? And we've done that by uh, a number of ways, identifying addressable markets, military being one. Um, uh, we have a, a historical uh, position with the, in the trillion dollar automotive space. So. We identify those specific markets, be it at the manufacturing, the retail, the aftermarket, uh, and we, we reach out to those in something in that particular market we call the university of the aftermarket. Um, so that's, that's on, the, on the online side. I think there's more that we can do uh, from, a, from a digital marketing um, uh, perspective. And, and uh, often in this business, you're constrained by the revenues that, that you have in order to reinvest. So um, we have had a long history um, delivering learning through uh, online means, and, and that's something that continues to be a, a be a priority. That's different than 
knowing where a group of students are. I mean, I know right now where a class of 20 to eight are, they're in, you know, they're, they're sophomores likely at a school that has served us well and we can start to penetrate those schools and go after those individuals and, and continue that, that uh, stream of students. That's a, that's a very different um, uh, way to communicate and market the institution to those uh, those students as opposed to a 39 year old who might be thinking of doing a career change and is wondering where and how they might do that. Um, look, it, it's something that all of us are challenged with and um, and our, our greatest gift probably is how we're a little bit different than the um, uh, than the typical college, uh, particularly privates that, that I see and uh, trying to make sure that we continue to be differentiated will be one of the main things that we need to do going forward. So uh, let's talk a little bit about community um, and, and local businesses. Um, how does Northwood um, build relationships with communities so that you can help with persistence and really being able to help work with businesses to, al to align degrees with jobs of today and jobs of the future. Yeah. So that when, when your question um, uh, earlier, um, when I talked about being externally focused, uh, that's a great example of um, needing to have these relationships. You, you know, I think um, it's been a while now since Jeffrey Emlett uh, ran GE, but I, I remember when he took over from Jack Welsh, he talked th this notion of at the customer for, for the customer. In other words, people were not going to knock on General Electric store. They needed to be positioned within, within that particular industry. We, we view that similar here at Northwood, where we need to have um, uh, concerted outreach into these organizations, uh, getting to know them, being present, asking what their needs are. Uh, that is one way. We, all, we also do it, though, um, by providing them a exceptionally talented student group that is able to do uh, a lot of experiential learning, internships, co-ops, that kind of thing within the industry. And if done properly, uh, it can be a win-win uh, situation. Uh, we do a number of partnerships. This, this uh, city of Midland is um, blessed to have the global headquarters of Dow uh, here. And, um, and as a result of that, we have this, you know, global uh, multi-billion dollar company just in our back year, backyard. So over, over the years, we've just worked really closely uh, with, with Dow, not only for student employment, providing MBAs to their, uh, their uh, work group, uh, corporate training opportunities, but also partnering on things that are, are important to both of us. Um, so it, it, it takes time and effort though. Uh, these institutions uh, are being asked uh, for partnerships from all kinds of different universities and colleges. And um, it's, a, it's an effort every day to, to keep those uh, relationships going. So how, how many total students do you have today? You're going you're gonna to have uh, here two numbers, just to be clear. You're going to see yeah. a number about 4,500, but that includes the online that you've talked about. It talks about our international operations, Switzerland, China, Sri Lanka, et cetera. Uh, and also our grad student at an undergraduate level, we have 1,100. Uh, I think the ideal number here for Northwood is 1,500, 14 to 1,500. We could 
um, grow that within the existing infrastructure that we have on, on campus now without having to reinvest in new residences and library and, and um, uh, cooking uh, areas and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's that's a goal that will that's easier said than done. Uh, when you look at uh, where we are located uh, in the Midwest and all the pressures uh, institutions have in the Midwest and um, probably even worse than a lot of uh, universities what they're under pressure in the Northeast. So um, uh, it's we're gonna we grew at two percent this year. Uh, which we were pleased to be able to do that. And, and uh, we're tracking for small growth this year. So we'll be doing it by slow, steady, um, uh, intentional growth. And um, I've just realized over the year, there's no real, there's no panacea. I, I know that I, I've read some universities across the country that have had exceptional growth over the last uh, couple of years, somehow related to COVID and others. And, but I'd put those as outliers and I congratulate them. Um, if we can continue the direction that we're going and um, see that extrapolated out over the next five or six years, we'll feel pretty good about that. And where do, where do you see areas of growth? In terms of undergraduate? Well, under, just as far as hitting, hitting your, your target number or growing over the next several years, are you looking at a focus on graduate, undergraduate, yeah. uh, or something other? Yeah. yeah no, it, it's a great question. Uh, we see uh, an upside in our graduate school. We have the DeVos Graduate School of Management here, and our dean Lisa Fairburn is is uh, working with uh, her colleagues, her, her faculty colleagues, to uh, identify some new opportunities. So we do see uh, a percent growth there at the undergraduate level. Um, in our new strategic plan that we've just had approved by the board, we have identified. Uh, a growth, but I'll just bundle it all together by saying that in, in four and a half years, we will have a new school here. So we're going to have a, a small shift outside of the core business area that we deliver in now. Uh, we will not and have no desire to become a, a liberal arts college. I think the country's well served uh, in, in that area. Um, but in the areas of uh, health, education um, uh, is, is something that we're exploring right now. So we do see um, more growth at the undergraduate uh, level, and uh, and also uh, our board of trustees is recommitted to our, our leadership uh, role and not giving up um, that leadership role in anything related to the, uh, again, the multi-trillion dollar automotive area. Uh, and that, I mean, we, we're seeing it, that's from supply, our strength now in supply chain and, and marketing, automotive finance, that, that kind of thing. Um, in terms of online, we also see opportunity there. Uh, we have flatlined uh, over the last number of years. So we have a, a small group looking at how do we extend um, our relatively good position. It's not a, a new space for us. And, um, uh, and then within each under those, we have a, a number of areas in terms of, again, identifiable markets that we think are, would be a nice fit for who we are and what we stand for from where the supply of students might, might come from. Internationally is an area that um, uh, I just wish we were a little bit stronger in. We have a very good presence offshore, uh, but most of those students stay uh, within their countries. We like that model. We don't own infrastructure. We work with partners on the ground, uh, but I would like to see um, not only the, the financial benefit, but, but just, uh, I think it creates a uh, a more robust, um, rich environment if we were to have more international students on, on our campus. Right now, there's 
they they uh, make up about five percent of our student population if we could get that up to to ten percent i think it would be um a nice addition to our campus so we've really Brad looked at a number of uh, areas that um, we think there is an upside to, but uh, again, I, I, I just um, I remind people that it's it's a non-trivial quest. You know, it, it's it's complex uh, for every one of us. There's another 4,500 typically, you know, saying the same thing, and um, but just really being clear of who we are and how we're a different school uh, is going to be important to us going forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you define student success? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It would there, look. There was a time uh, years ago that that I would uh, listen to people and they would say student success is just meeting the needs of the individual student. In other words, they could show up on your campus and uh, and leave after six months. But if that's what they were looking for, that was success. I, I don't, I don't buy that. Uh, I have not met a student who's shown up here on, on the first day to say, I'm just going to hang out for a few months and then go find something else. So the notion of um, uh, providing a high quality affordable education, but actually leads to graduation and all the, the, um, the good that comes out of a, a college diploma, and that then leads to employment. Um, I get into some bait, debates with my faculty colleagues. Um, uh, I'm really uh, clear on this. When you speak to students, and the literature will show you this, they're really clear that they're prepared to invest an amount of money as long as it leads to something, as opposed to what it used to be and growing as a human being and, and uh, that kind of thing. You can do that, but I do think you need to get them through to graduation. I think it fundamentally though it, it um, to answer that question it depends on who, who is answering it I might give you the idea of we want to get the student the right student in the right seat and get them through the graduation they go off to help our communities be more socially and economically prosperous uh, if you speak with a student though um, they are just expecting to have a, a good academic experience I've I've walked campuses three different campuses I've very rarely run into a, uh, a student considering uh, where they start questioning the quality of your academics. They're, they are looking for other experiences on campus. So from a student point of view, I think it goes beyond just having a good academic experience. Um, North America, although the media gives us a hard time, uh, it's still the iconic place to come to attend university or college. So let's just check the box that they're going to have a decent academic experience. It's what are the other things that they're looking for? Uh, do, are they going to have opportunities to learn outside of the classroom? Are there work experiences? What are the um, uh, intramural extracurricular uh, types of things that you offer that's going to prepare them for uh, a life well spent? So um, I've read all kinds of definitions of student success. Uh, I, I just... Uh, it goes beyond just, you know, um, them coming onto campus and, and hopefully getting what they want. Uh, they, I think it has to lead to employment. It has to go uh, typically beyond just uh, an academic experience these days, even though I, I do honor any student who wants to just simply be in a large class of five or 600 people. They don't want to interact. They never get called on by their teaching assistant or their grad school or their professor. Um, that's 
that's what they want out of their experience. I generally, the schools I've been at, generally speaking, the students want to go beyond that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, where do you see Northwood in 10 years? Um, good question. A, a bit uh, facetiously, I would say right here in Midland. Uh, and I say that from the point of view uh, we had a one of one of the challenges that I had uh, on arrival was to deal with a uh, a large deficit, uh, declining enrollment, uh, all of the all of the kind of uh, early indicators uh, of uh, of a, a university that needed uh, a bit of tweaking. So we we closed down a number of operations. We used to have a campus in Florida, used to have a campus in Texas, a lot of a lot of ancillary types of. Uh, uh, locations and and uh, made it really clear that Midland is our home. So retrenching ourselves in this beautiful community uh, is one. From a from a growth point of view, we've we've uh, advised the board that we would like to grow from about uh, the forty five hundred or so students uh, in an annual basis to eight thousand. That's our, our objective. Uh, that is not all full time. That's some corp more corporate training. That's uh, online. Um, you know, some one individual who happens to take one course, growing our international program centers, but putting all of those together, it'd be a growth of about 50% in terms of touching our students on an annual basis. From a revenue point of view, uh, we are relatively small now at a, a budget of 48 million. I said that I'd like to see revenue stream up to 60 million. Uh, so those are really, we, we, we run on something here. Most universities now have strategic plans uh, and metrics and scorecarding, balanced scorecards. We run off something called OKRs, objectives and key results that are, are very, very specific on a very short amount of time that uh, people are supposed to hit these lead indicator um, measurable objectives in order for us then to extrapolate, extrapolate that out uh, five years. I'm not sure reputationally what that means. I've written about uh, rankings. Um, everyone hates them unless you're ranked number one or two or three in, in, in something. Uh, we're not chasing that at, at Northwood. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, that the, our donor pool is exceptionally generous uh, to us. We carry no debt, uh, relatively uh, decent endowment. And so growing some of those things so that whoever replaces me, um, I'm halfway through my five-year contract here, and uh, people have asked me what's next, and I say I serve at the will of the of the board, and there's a lot of lot to do here uh, at Northwood, and um, uh, whenever I I happen to leave or the board is finished with me, uh, I I I hope it's just you know in a little bit better place than I found it, and financially, reputationally, enrollment, um, uh, all of those uh, important things. And. And I, I know, first of all, thank you for making time. I know if all the flood, uh, you guys were on the FEMA's radar list for support and everything. Uh, what, what's going on there as far as the flood and, and the campus? So if you, if you look at the campus today, um, you would not really know that uh, we are underwater. Just to put that in perspective, in, our, in our, one of our parking lots, I was... Um, interviewed by a, a journalist from the Detroit News and, and she said, well, uh, what, what's the future? This was in late May. And um, she asked that question while we were in a boat 
going across a parking lot looking at a car uh, mostly submerged underwater. That's how much water was on our campus. And so I said, we, we have uh, 100 days to open. And one of the core values or some of the core values here at Northwood is, is that we think the society works most effectively with uh, limited government uh, intervention, not uh, you need government, otherwise you have anarchy, but limited go government, um, private enterprise, free enterprise. Uh, uh, the big one here is personal responsibility that no one is waking up in the morning saying, we're gonna look after Northwood. So we had hundreds of students, alumni, this was in the middle of the pandemic where the students at that time had been sent home by our governor. Um, that they all came back onto campus wearing masks, starting rip, ripping out drywall, gymnasium floors, that kind of thing. And uh, so as you look at the campus now, it looks um, like it's fully repaired. It's not. Um, just one more example of that is there, there was this amazing photo taken by a drone looking down on the campus covered with water. And someone said to me, well, the, the football field looks fairly good. Um, the water got up just to abut the, the, uh, the corners of the football field. But in fact, if you looked at that field, the entire field was floating underwater. Uh, and you know that because the turf was sitting on the uh, under area of the uh, football uprights. So in, okay. in uh, 100 days, we were able to bring everything back online. We were blessed that there were no issues around residence halls. Uh, the classrooms were un, uh, unaffected. We had lots of damage to our athletic facilities, to uh, offices, part of our library. Um, so we're, we're uh, working now mostly with donors. I, I'm looking out, we've done a whole engineering pro uh, project that we uh, spent about three and a half million dollars that if we ever get flooded again, we'll get water off uh, campus. That was all through donated money. And then uh, FEMA is... Um, uh, we do qualify for some FEMA funding. We have not received any yet. Uh, those dollars are sitting in the governor's office and um, uh, we're waiting for some of those to, <laughs> to come our way, which would be, uh, I'm sure, uh, I mean, it's been a tough go for from flooding uh, in this state, from uh, hurricanes or, or tornadoes uh, flooding downstate. So uh, they have five or six major, major disasters on their plate. And uh, so we're just being patient with our colleagues down in, in Lansing. What a tenure. You know, I mean, you came in, there's COVID, there's flood. Uh, I know you mentioned the five-year contract. Talk about the ten tenureship and everything that you've inherited and how you've managed to move the school forward. I mean, what, what do you think are your signature traits during such unusual times? I think, um, you know, when I did my doctor work uh, over at Penn, I, I remember asking who has become a really good friend of mine, my supervisor, Matt, um, does leadership matter? And, uh, and, and uh, I've come to realize that it does. Um, but I think more than that, there's this cagey thing called experience. And so uh, I, I look over in my, my office, I've been carrying around this uh, poem by Rudyard Kipling for a long, long time called If, you know, so as, as those all about you are losing your head, uh, you know how that goes. Um, and so the financial challenges, uh, if I had this role maybe a decade ago, I would have taken the same approach I did a decade ago, where just trying to find little pieces to address. 
um, we just we just get at it, and um, and we ended up uh, eliminating seventy three positions, so about twenty percent of our workforce got those costs under control. Uh, immediately get us out of a, a major deficit situation. We balanced the budget the you know the last couple of years, and we're going to do that again. So just stabilizing the place. Um, I've also come to realize that. Uh, this notion of leadership, it's important. I mean, you go into a bookstore and it's half the shelves are, are filled with writings on leadership. Um, important, but I think some basic fundamental management practices are, are really critical as, as well. Uh, we're going to focus on where we spend our money, where we get in our highest return. We're going to deal with things like enrollment, high quality uh, academics and, um, and balancing budgets, uh, keeping people employed, paying them properly, all of those more boring management things. So we put a lot of new processes and practices in place, including these accountability measures uh, on giving us this more rapid feedback on how are we progressing towards kind of our longer and medium term goals. The, the, uh, the flood, the pandemic, people have asked me that question. I, I find um, it actually hasn't been that difficult, relatively speaking. Uh, and there's nothing noble in saying that. I, I just, um, I, I've just come from over the years that that um, I would rather deal with these management-related issues rather than some of the distractions that I see on some campuses uh, that are um, not helpful, I guess, in terms of moving the university forward. So we had a flood. We had a disaster to fix. We brought the right people around the table. What's the plan? What are the resources? Let's fix it. Here are the timelines, and, and we'll get at it. Uh, same same with the the pandemic that that we laid out a plan like many other universities did, and we just got at the business of the business and um, and dealt with these things with not a lot of theater uh, and um, and just you know keeping your feet on the ground. Uh, people look for that that we're not. Uh, in a crisis, we've got a, something to deal with from a management uh, point of view. And um, and that's one of the things I really admire about Northwood. There's just uh, less theater. Uh, people are serious here and uh, and I find it refreshing. And, um, and, and I think it gets transferred to our students uh, as well. So uh, when I say it hasn't, I mean, it's been difficult. People have lost sleep. Uh, we had 20 colleagues, including my wife and I, uh, whose houses were underwater. Uh, during that time as well. And um, so it hasn't been easy for this community, but I do think part of being asked to serve a university is just to people, people are looking at you and, and the leadership team and, and they need to know that things are going to be okay. And so that was kind of the, the message, complete transparency uh, from, from day one, uh, letting people know, uh, as they say, we put the uglies on the table and said, this is what we are going to deal with. And um, there's no, no magic solution coming out of my office. We have to figure out this. And um, coming from a small town in rural Nova Scotia, uh, you quickly realize um, to be cautious about trying to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, it doesn't work out well uh, culturally in a lot of these places. And and uh, the neat thing about working at a university is you go to work with really, really interesting, smart people. And so we have tried to harness that uh, from, from these uh, colleagues, uh, I would call you know, them friends uh, who happen to be faculty and staff. And, and I'm, I'm proud of 
really proud of how we've been able to manage so far. Lots more to go, uh, but we're, we're doing okay. I was in Finland last month for about two weeks studying the education system and Michigan and Canada would come up a lot so you could resonate with Finland and how industrious those people are building a, a, an incredible ecosystem on basically granite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so just, just hardship, uh, it had a rugged beauty to how they operated and how they move forward. And they're also very introverted, just they get business done. So some of what you said reminds me of some of the, when I went to the Ministry of Education and visited colleges, or just head down operation, let's get things done. Now, uh, I, I am aware of uh, Dr. Zemsky's book on the college stress test, because that's a, a research that um, we are doing internally here, and we'll have a pretty lengthy paper post-COVID on this matter. I wasn't aware of his new book, Communicate for College for a Change. Mm -hmm. Now, your dissertation is interesting to me. The doctoral research focused on high-performing colleges and presidential leadership, right? So given, you know, the, you know, everyone goes back to Clayton Christensen as far as his prediction of what happened, which was actually, it wasn't nearly as catastrophic as he predicted, but, you know, obviously you're deep into this operationally, academically, intellectually. How do you identify the characteristics of high-performing universities and what is going to keep them sustainable? Sorry, I went on on a tangent, but that is my question based on all of your studies and experience. Yeah, so, uh, my earlier work, uh, which is, is a little bit dated now, looked, first of all, is what, what is a high-performing university? So my little sampling looked at some key performance indicators of uh, uh, enrollment, uh, employer satisfaction, job rates, um, uh, application rates, yields, and a lot of that was coming from uh, the government of Ontario at the time. But it was the work itself was based on a lot of other um, writers and and uh, researchers at, at the time so I identified well what could what what does one look like because it, it does go beyond just reputation I, I, I look there there are some there are some schools uh, not to be named that I would say are significantly easier to run even though they're larger uh, because they are not under you know the same kind of pressure. Their issue is, can which of these thousand students are we going to select to have the most diverse kind of classroom? That is a very different challenge than a institution uh, that's rural, limited programs, um, smaller, no uh, endowment, that kind of thing. So, um, looking looking at what are some of the the key indicators, and um, and from that. Uh, just interviews, uh, dozens of interviews with people and asking, so what is it that, that you were doing throughout this? And, and again, some of the things I mentioned earlier that this, this manic focus on uh, externally oriented, entrepreneurially uh, inclined, um, a lot of trust, and then th this leadership that fits within the minute, in the middle of it, and there's all kinds of 
aspects of what is what is leadership in terms of communication and decision making and transparency and um i just i just didn't find myself nor do i believe in it in, in this kind of transformational heroic leader that's going to you know drive uh, the organization for there, there are some examples, I suppose, uh, of that. Um, but in, in my view, it's it's more of getting the entire community on board, uh, identifying what are your collective aspirations, how are you going to have your institution look, feel different, uh, and the stress test that I've always asked uh, people, uh, to, um, using uh, Bob's language there, but a, a slightly different approach is, uh, if we're going to apply this strategy and these metrics to the, our neighbors down the road, does it look any different than when what we are right now? Or, or could these same words, approaches apply to the liberal arts college uh, of, of which we're surrounded by, by many? So um, th those are the key things that, that I look for, but there's, there's, no, there's no panacea and, and it takes time to get these places turned around and you need to do it with full buy-in from your faculty uh, that uh, I've said since my arrival here, St. Francis Xavier back in Nova Scotia, that the faculty are the university and you need to get them to understand under you know, where you're trying to move the organization. Uh, for us, in our one uh, area here, we had some similarities to where, what we were under pressure in, in Nova Scotia uh, at a very, very different, very, one of Canada's oldest universities produced prime ministers and and um, uh, business leaders, et cetera. Um, but our pressure here was demographic changes, not enough programmatic uh, differentiation. And then we were not shouting from the mountaintop who exactly we were and how we were different than the, the good schools that are surrounding us. So, um, uh, I mean, it's still a work in progress. Uh, but but the the early things on getting our finances under control, getting a collective buy-in of who we are, I established something called the President's Task Force on the review and renewal of the Northwood idea. The Northwood idea being, how are we a different place than another other school? And um, so yeah, there's a lot a lot of elements within within all of that. And um, uh, so far, I, I feel fairly fairly confident that we're going in the right direction with some of those same principles that uh, I mentioned before. One, one, of our, one of our employees right now is actually down in Florida as part of a group that we, uh, we identified uh, just three pillars of our strategic plan. And uh, one of those is, is trying to be a connector for other free market, free enterprise universities and institutions, think tanks around the globe. And um, and again, that won't appeal to a lot of people, but I only need 500 of them, <laughs> so it's okay. Now, I was reading uh, the history of the campus. It has a Jesuit tradition. I mean, way before it even became Norwood. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of Norwood. How did it start? What defines Norwood as a university historically to this date? So launched in 1959, just down the road in Alma, uh, Michigan, by two professors. And uh, 
those those individuals thought you have to remember this was the time of uh just emerging out of the second world war sputnik uh communism uh, a lot of those things that were really scary times uh for uh free countries and so these two professors felt that the um existing uh institutions weren't dealing with those some of those realities so they strongly believed in um, american ideals ideals established by the founding fathers uh that economic and social and social prosperity comes from free enterprise activity uh that is the engine through which uh, prosperity has been gained uh, in the country and it's been uh and not following that route has been um the root of uh, disaster in a number of, of other countries so they they established a school in 59 uh quickly received a phone call from dow uh here in midland and by 1961 they had the first uh, part of the campus built with the support of uh, dow and a lot of uh, private uh, individuals and so from uh, from those times they were still in that formative years of the university they hired someone by the name of Orville Watts, happened to be a Canadian, uh, but came out of Harvard, and uh, who also really, really believed in uh, free enterprise, personal responsibility, uh, that can-do attitude, and, uh, and developing students who could actually enter into the workforce with not the theoretical skills of, um, you know, what's the correlation of paint color and buyer behavior. Certainly our faculty teach theory uh in in their their courses but the experiences and scar tissue that they bring into the classroom every day and the ethos here at northwood has resulted in one third of our graduates they own their own companies one third of them and wow. uh so th there's just an entrepreneurial kind of mindset here that built off those early early days and um uh that uh, and that's why our mission is to try to develop leaders for a free enterprise um, uh, system. Not everybody wants to go off and and um, own their own companies, but developing leaders within a private sector space is kind of where 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 we fit. And 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 we touch all kinds of all kinds of industries from Northwood alum owning sport franchises, ranging from the Orlando Magic all the way through to a major major automotive uh, dealerships uh, to consulting firms to IT related firms um, to small you know construction companies and uh, but it, it's um, it's just a mindset here that is it starts out in on day one with our philosophy course um, that uh, talks about the the American enterprise system and that it it didn't rely on central government to make us prosperous it. It relied on the entrepreneurs, much like what you're doing with your firm, that um, you're going out, you're finding a niche, you're growing your company, you're hiring people, you're bringing economic prosperity. That's the Northwood kind of way that we think about things. I am inspired as an entrepreneur. I mean, you talk about the differentiators. I mean, that is a huge, huge differentiator, the success of your alum and the whole free enterprise entrepreneurship, um, that stands out. I mean, Brad, you and I interview, uh, have a podcast every week or two weeks, and yeah. uh, uh, you're the first president who so elegantly described the entrepreneurship. So yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it, it really resonated with me and, and with us, uh, frankly. Uh, last but not least, you did talk about your faculty. Um, well, universities and dealing with academics is not easy. I mean, as much as you don't wanna have drama, people losing their job is difficult because there's a lot of interdependency amongst faculty. Um, so you've done that. How has that impacted the quality of education? In terms of some of the uh, reductions in staff, you mean? Yes. Um, it really, it really had to go back to, um, in fairness to faculty and staff, uh, I don't believe that, um, just being cautious here, because these jobs are, are complex. Right. And, and we, all of us try to do the best we can under the certain circumstances at a particular time. Uh, but in my time, there was a gap of understanding of what the financial realities were facing the university. So uh, spent a lot of time just letting people know. Uh, my, my first four months, I, I ran something called a term of discovery, typical in terms of a new president coming onto campus, trying to listen and identify um, what's on people's minds. But out of that gave me an opportunity it took me about three weeks until I really get into the books and, and realized that we were going down the wrong path financially. So we were overly clear and transparent so that people understood this wasn't my problem, <laughs> that we collectively had a problem. Um, because we have no debt and we don't take on debt, we raise money before we spend any money. And because we have a, a nine-figure endowment, it, it's hopefully will grow in, in the future. We did have resources to allow these people who built the university and to honor them, uh, to allow them to land on their feet. Extremely, extremely fair packages. And, um, and to the point where I have not had one individual who left us who has expressed any frustration. It's been contrary. Uh, in fact, many have said it was a, a blessing for them and they've gone to do new things, they've retired, whatever. So being transparent, making sure as a new person, like really who, who, who am I to come in and these people have spent their entire lives uh, feeding their families, committed to this place. So working <clears throat> through that and building up some level of trust, it may not have been the, the news they were looking for. Um, but it goes back to this notion I mentioned a couple of times now, you need to have a culture of trust and people walk into this office all the time and, uh, and tell me what I need to be thinking about. So when, when, when I say the drama, there, that, that doesn't mean that people haven't been really, really um, thoughtful and clear on, on what was on their mind, but it's been done from, um, uh, I think from a caring point of view, from that they're passionate about the place and one with respect. And so that, that was kind of the foundational piece. And um, uh, in terms of who we were left with, uh, um, it's an area that all of us uh, have to get better. Uh, our, I've said to our faculty, they need to be better uh, in terms of if there is an issue going on in terms of the debt crisis, the current deficit, the supply chain. We have faculty who know this stuff. We need them to be the ones being interviewed as opposed to someone at another, another school. I have to you know, continue to be better. Uh, you know, that's just this um, commitment to just, uh, just to get better every day. So um, I, I think 
the, the individuals that are here uh, by testament of what they have been able to go through. Remember, it was only a month and a half after those layoffs took place that the pandemic hit. Having been in Ontario when SARS hit and dozens of people died uh, because of SARS, it was some element of um, experience with that. And we really got at uh, the pandemic early on meeting, you know, we continue to meet every, uh, every day early to go through what our numbers are at. And so um, my, my hope going forward is, uh, is that our faculty will continue to um, continue as they have commit uh, to understand they need to be leaders in the classroom, they need to continue to renew themselves. We're looking at a hard target of uh, 10 endowed chairs uh, to come on board here that will supplement the good work that they have done and um but uh, you know it, it's still a work in progress to be honest uh, it would be naive to think that we're out of the woods yet and um the problem i have with case studies business case studies is that uh, and we use them here is that you have these young people uh looking at case studies led by looking at institutions led by the best corporate leaders on the planet and you're at 22 years old and you're critiquing what that CEO, it's really easy to look in the rearview mirror. Um, and it will be much easier for me to answer your question in five years than it is that I could do it right now. Uh, but um, again, we're, we have this notion of just step by step. And, uh, and it's something that we continue to do every, every, every uh, Wednesday afternoon. Uh, we have a, uh, an online session at quarter to five where we tell exactly what's going on. Um, uh, people dial in, they get to hear from our leadership. Uh, we have a daily update to them. Um, and, and just, uh, I will leave at Northwood at some point. Um, students will leave, but the faculty and staff, most of them will be around 35, 40 years. So we owe it to them uh, just to say, just remind them it's their university and, and we're just here for these temporary moments in time trying to do our best to move it forward. But I need their help and they know that. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me to come on. Absolutely. We, we appreciate it. And, and it is a fantastic, fantastic interview and podcast. We thank you. We know you're really busy. Uh, I, I'll make this video. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on Plexus, you can visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. That's P L E X U S S dot com forward slash solutions. Or you can email us at podcast at plexus.com.